invite you to turn in your Bibles now to Romans chapter 13. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 10 this morning in our study of the book of Romans. We know uh, from the passage we just read in Galatians 5, as well as other passages all throughout the Bible, that the Christian life is above all else a life of Christ-like love. Love is to be the defining mark of every follower of Jesus. Love is to be the hallmark of our holiness. And however far we fall short of that standard, we know that that is the goal. Jesus said in John 13, By this people, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And then at the end of that great chapter, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. We know that love is central. We know that love is essential. But do we know why? Why does the Bible put such emphasis upon love? Why is love the defining characteristic of Christians. Why is love the attribute that is emphasized over and over and over? Why is it the theme of Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 13 where Paul is telling us how we ought to live as those who have received God's mercy? The Bible gives us at least two answers to that question, at least two reasons why love is so central and essential to how we are supposed to live as believers, as followers of Christ. The first one is found in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And there Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there Paul says, what we are called to do as Christians is we are to be imitators of God. And what is God like? Well, God loves. He says we are beloved children. And as beloved children, we are to love. As His sons and daughters, we are to imitate Him so that it's like Father, like Son. And if we imitate our Father, we're going to love as our Father loves. He goes on to say in verse 2 that Christ has loved us and given Himself up for us. And so we are to walk in love as Christ has loved us. As we think about the way we were saved, right? That God sent His Son into the world to lay down His life for us and to take our sins, having no sins of His own, taking our sins and bearing the penalty for our rebellion against God in our place, for our good, for our salvation, for our reconciliation, for our forgiveness, for our life. That kind of love that Jesus has shown to us he says we are to walk in that kind of love, a self-sacrificial, a self-giving love. If you're listening to this, if you're here and you're not a Christian, 
right? This is the starting place. You can't impress God by being loving enough. You have to start by realizing that though you have sinned against God, you have been loved by Him. And by believing that the loving gift of His Son upon the cross is the only way that you can be reconciled to God. But once we respond to Christ, once we trust Him, once we've been saved, then we are called to live this life of love as we have been loved. So that's the first answer to the question, why is love so essential? Love is so essential to the Christian life because love is central to who God is. And it's central to what God has done for us. And so, as His children, we are called to be like Him, and that means living lives of love. The second answer to that question comes in our text for this morning, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Let me read those verses for us. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, when Paul says there in verse 8 that we are to owe no one anything, he is picking up on what he just said in verse 7. In, in the first part of chapter 13, he's telling us that we are to submit to the governing authorities, that God has put all these authorities in place, whether we're talking about an emperor or a president or a governor or a local police officer or whatever. God has put these authorities in place, and so we are called to submit to those authorities as we would submit to God. And at the end of that passage in verse 7, he says, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So you have obligations, you have debts that you are called to discharge, and as Christians you need to make sure you pay those debts. You pay your taxes, you give respect, you give honor to the people you owe those things to. And so then he says in verse 8, owe... Same language, right? Owe no one anything except to love each other. So the one debt you should always carry around with you, Paul says, is the debt of love. Now, I don't think he's giving a strict prohibition against all other forms of debt. In other words, I don't think he's saying it's wrong to ever borrow money. The Bible does warn us about debt in places like Proverbs 22.7 where it says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. But I don't think that Scripture is giving us a blanket prohibition against having debt of any kind, right? For, for one thing, that's not Paul's focus here. 
if he was going to give us a strict prohibition on debt, that would have made more sense to bring that up in chapter 12 when he was giving sort of a list of things we're supposed to do and things we're not supposed to do. Here, his focus is on love, right? And the way that we should think about love as a debt, our chief debt, right? The, the, the one debt that we're always supposed to have. What, one Bible teacher puts it this way. He says, the injunction to owe nothing to anyone should not be read literally to forbid the taking of any loans. The point of the text is that any debts incurred should be repaid. And if what I think he means there is, if we borrow money, right? If we have other kinds of debt, that's not necessarily a bad thing so long as we pay them. Because not paying back our debts is not loving. But Paying back our debts, that's a loving thing to do. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow, I will give it, when you have it with you. All right, so discharge your debts, that's the loving thing to do. Don't refuse to pay back your debts, that's not a loving thing to do. But Paul's main point here is not about money, it's about love. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Focus on loving one another. Live like a debtor, Paul says, when it comes to love. Every time you see a brother and, or sister in Christ, it's time to pay up. Every time you see a brother or sister in Christ, you are meeting somebody you owe something to. You owe them love. You owe them Christ-like love. Love each other. Why? Because, for, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Here's the second answer to our question. Why is love so central? Why is love so essential? And the reason is that love fulfills the law. Now, as Christians, we're no longer under the Old Testament law. We're not under the Old Covenant. Right? That's part of what Paul's talking about in Galatians. You're not, you're not bound to keep the law of Moses anymore. You are now in Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. And that's, that's not the point. What does matter? Faith, Paul says, working through Love. What matters is, do you trust Jesus? And if you trust Jesus with a real, living faith, that faith is going to express itself in love. And so though we are not under the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, we are still called to fulfill the law, and the way that we fulfill the law is by loving one another. When we live lives of love, we fulfill the law without even really having to think about it. If you're loving other people, you're doing what the law required. You don't have to have a checklist that you're going down. You know, did I do this? Did I do that? Am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do that? If you're loving other people, you're fulfilling the law. The law, right, was given by God so that people would know 
what's right and what's wrong. And if, to put it another way, to know what's loving and what's not loving. And so as long as we're loving each other, Paul says, we are fulfilling the law, which is what God wants us to do. Now, how does that work, that love fulfills the law? Is that just some sort of arbitrary decision God made at some point? You can either keep the law or you can, I don't know, let's say you can love. Is that why love fulfills the law? No. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. He explains further, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments, Paul says, he lists several from the Ten Commandments, but then he says, I could keep going, any other commandment, pick one. Pick any commandment from the 600 some odd commandments you find in the Old Testament. Pick any one of them. Every one of them is summed up in the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, of course, Paul didn't figure that out on his own. He's just repeating what Jesus said. Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment? He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything you'll find in the Old Testament, Jesus says, ultimately comes down to loving God and loving your neighbor. Paul says it again in Galatians 5.14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why does love fulfill the law? Why is the whole law summed up in love? Because all the commandments were about love in the first place. If you steal from somebody, you're not loving them. If you're coveting something that belongs to somebody else, you're not loving them. If you're committing adultery, you're not loving. If you're murdering, you're not loving. If you're loving people with a biblical Christ-like love, you don't have to worry about stealing stuff from them or murdering them, right? Or coveting their things. If you are loving them, you're going to be keeping the law. You're going to be fulfilling the law. Which means, at root, all of our sin is a failure to love. All of it. If every commandment is fulfilled by love then every violation of a commandment is a failure to love. That may not make it any easier not to sin, but it does simplify things in the way we think about it. Paul here, of course, is talking about biblical laws, laws that we find in Scripture, but this is true of the best everyday laws that we have too. The best laws written by men are also about love, aren't they? Why do we have speed limits? Why is that a law? It's not just to protect you. 
It's to protect your neighbor from you doing something foolish. Why, do we have, why are we required to have liability insurance if we're going to drive? It's not just to protect you. That's to protect other people from you. It's to help you love your neighbor. All the best laws and all of God's laws are ultimately about showing us how to love one another. How to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, there's a question we need to ask when Paul says this. Uh, There's something about this that ought to give us pause, maybe even to scratch our heads. When Paul says, every commandment is summed up in the command to love your neighbor as yourself. We ought to say, well, even the commandments to love God? You didn't list any of those, Paul. What about the commandments about uh, keeping the Sabbath and not taking the Lord's name in vain and not making any idols? How, How are those commandments summed up in the command to love my neighbor as myself? Jesus said there are two great commandments, right? The first one is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it, but it's not the same To love your neighbor as yourself. So, did Paul forget about the greatest commandment? Of course not. Then how is it that he can say here and in Galatians, every commandment is summed up in the command to love your neighbor as yourself, and say nothing about the commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How can he get away with that? What does he mean by that? Well, here's what Paul knows that we need to know as well. There is no real love of neighbor without love of God. Nor is there any real love of God where there is no love for our neighbor. In other words, Paul can say every commandment is summed up in the command to love your neighbor as yourself because Paul knows you can't love your neighbor as yourself unless you're first loving God. He didn't forget about it. He didn't accidentally leave it out. He just knows you can't separate the two. He knows those things can't exist without each other. So when you mention one, by default you're implying the other. If you talk about loving God and say the most important thing is loving God, you can't say, well, you didn't say anything about loving your neighbor. We would just say, well, if you're loving God, you're going to love your neighbor. And the opposite is true as well. If you're talking about loving your neighbor and how central and important that is, you know, we ought to know, we can't possibly be loving our neighbor if we don't start with love of God. And and here's why we know that. Jesus says in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then he says, just a little bit later in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So how do we love Jesus? By keeping his command to love one another. You you, you can't love Jesus and not love other Christians. They're inseparable. 
John, the Apostle John himself, puts it this way in 1 John 4, 20 and 21. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So you can't claim to love God and not love your brother or your sister in Christ. Right? You, you, you can't do that. It's not possible. You have deceived yourself right? if you think you can love God and not love other people. And the flip side of that is true as well. If you are really loving other people with a Christ-like biblical love, not, not just being a nice person, if you're loving them with Christ-like love, the only way it's possible for you to do that is if you have already had your heart renewed so that you love God because you're now His child. You've been saved by Him. You've been changed by Him. So Paul's not leaving out the love of God as though it's unimportant. He just knows when he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself that he's also really talking about loving God without even saying it. So, love fulfills the law. And there's one more thing Paul wants us to know about love and why love fulfills the law and why love is so central and essential to our lives as Christians. Verse 10, he says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, that's why love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, when he says love does no wrong to a neighbor, that's a good, faithful translation. But what it misses is that the word there translated wrong is the same word that's translated evil in chapter 12 and chapter 13. When Paul says things like, in verse uh, 17 of chapter 12, repay no one evil for evil. And in verse 21 of, of chapter 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the same word that he uses here when it says love does no wrong, love does no evil to a neighbor. It means essentially the same thing, but that helps us see how all these things Paul is saying are tied together. The reason why love fulfills the law is because if you're loving people, you're not doing them any harm. You're not doing them any evil. You're not repaying evil for evil. Right? You're not being overcome by evil or seeking to overcome uh, uh, or repaying evil for evil. Or instead, you're seeking to overcome evil with good. Right? Love does no wrong, no evil to a neighbor. That's why love fulfills the law. The law is about protecting your neighbor and protecting you. The law is there to help us know how to love, how to do good rather than to do harm. And that is why love fulfills the law. So ask yourself this question. We think about how, how can we do this? How can we live this way? How can we make progress? Right? How can we grow in Christ-like love? Here, here's one question you can ask yourself. 
The people that I listen to throughout the day and throughout the week. The people who I let have influence in my life. Are they encouraging me to love other people? Or to hate them? Are they encouraging me to respond to my enemies the way Jesus does? Or the way the world normally does? If you are in a particular situation and you don't know what to do, how should I respond? What should I say? What should I do? Ask yourself this question. What is the loving thing to do? What is the loving thing to do? How can I show Christ-like love in this situation? Love fulfills the law. Sin, at its root, is a failure to love. So if you want to know what to do, ask, how can I love this person? How can I respond in a loving way in this situation? And that might not answer all of your questions because some situations are very complicated. Some situations, it's, it's hard to know what the most loving thing to do is. But we can always at least start with, what's something loving I could do here? What's something loving I could say here? And that's not always easy to do. Especially if the situation is one in which you have not been the recipient of love. When the person on the other side is not loving you. So when it's difficult, even when you know what to do, when it's difficult to do it, the best thing we can do is remember the love that was shown to us by Christ himself. And then to ask him to help us walk in that love. Let's do that now.